You're listening to a podcast from Northern Lights Metropolitan Community Church. This is the sermon recording from this week's service. And now, for this week's sermon. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be found pleasing in your sight, O God. Welcome, hospitality, and pastoral care. In the middle of 2011, I suddenly had an urge, a calling, or however you want to name it, to walk the thousand-year-old pilgrimage route to Santiago de Compostela. It's in northern Spain. It's a very, very old pilgrimage uh, route followed by penitents and adherents of Christianity for all those years without a break. I don't know where this urge came from. It was a mystery and a fairly impossible one at that. I was 67 years old and I'd never walked more than 12 miles in my life, and that only once. But so utterly convinced was I that this was some kind of special calling that I trained for three months solidly and booked my tickets. Now the route runs from the French side of the Pyrenees mountains, up and over and down the other side, and across northern Spain for about 800 kilometers, ending up in Santiago, which is said to be Uh, where the relics of St. James, the brother of Jesus, lie. Now, I don't really go in for relics, uh, but I did believe that God, who seemed to have called me to this action, would have a message for me in all this. And indeed, the messages came thick and fast, particularly about my future ministry. But I'm going to tell you about two. A true pilgrim walks all the way, carries their own stuff in a rucksack, stays in fairly basic pilgrim hostels along the route, never quite knowing where they're going to fetch up or where they're going to sleep. Obviously, allowances are made in these rules, if you like, um, for people who have disabilities in order that everyone uh, may uh, attempt the journey. One of the first lessons I learnt was about trusting God to keep me walking, to keep me upright. And the second, which I shall tell you about now, was about the true meaning of welcome and hospitality. At the end of a long day walking, weary and footsore, with my back aching, longing for a cup of tea, which was a rare commodity in northern Spain, I would arrive at a hostel with fingers crossed that there would be a spare bed, bunk, and there always was, but I did go at the right time of the year, which helped. But the greeting I received on the door would tell me instantly what staying there for a single night would be like. It's not allowed to stay in these hostels for more than one night unless you're poorly. On a very few occasions, 
a sloppy, apparently uncaring, and rather jaded hospitalero, as they're called, would stamp the special pilgrim passport that every pilgrim carries and perfunctorily point in the direction of the bunk room, where I longed to find a bottom bunk on which to lay out my sleeping bag and the contents of my rucksack. Oh, the difference it made when there was a warm and welcoming smile which broke out on the face of the hospitalero, when they stamped the passport asking where I had come from, how far I had walked that day, and what the weather had been like, and so on, and then shown me to a bunk to the bunk room and sometimes helped to find just the right bunk out of the drafts and the direct light. On one occasion, a woman a bit younger than me took me by the hand and said, come, come in, my lady, come in. It's the only time I've ever been called my lady. And led me to a chair and helped me off with my soaking wet boots and insisted that before anything else, she made me a cup of tea. In our Genesis reading, we hear of a similar set of circumstances. Strangers arriving at the camp, and remember that Abraham and his family were nomads, so it was a camp, it wasn't a settled community. As we heard in the reading, they turned out to be visitors with a life-changing message, so no wonder that they didn't announce their coming. Now, in the ancient Middle East, there was a code of hospitality. It was strictly adhered to, and it went something like this. Strangers would be greeted, would be given the advantages of being a guest, that is, bed, board, and conversation. And by the time they left, if all had gone according to the code, they would leave as friends. Now, this served um, not just for the harmony of the household, but it made new alliances among a disparate group of people. And remember, this is desert country and traveling was a very risky business in the ancient Middle East, and they needed all the friends that they could make. So it was important that people were cared for because you were making friends for life, and you may come at some point to rely on that friendship. Outsiders might be suspect, but not to invite them to eat and drink was a serious breach of hospitality and honor and it spoke badly of the locals in that place. Now, you'll recall that Abraham immediately offered to wash the visitors' feet, and he instructed Sarah to prepare food. Now, these were actions required of hosts according to the code. Abraham went a step further by offering the meat of the calf he had chosen from the flock. The meal had to be the most lavish that the host could afford. And the occasion might include music and dancing and discussions. In their turn, visitors were not expected to stay more than two nights in only one household, so as not to deplete the provisions available for the family and the servants. And they had to leave the encampment in peace. But we know now that these visitors had another mission to accomplish. Abraham and Sarah had been chosen by God to found a great nation. Their task was to create the child 
who would begin this process. Sarah and the servants, having served the guests, would have removed themselves to the tent, but would still be listening. She it was who had the courage to question the wisdom of the subject she was overhearing. Child at my age? Just as an aside, have you noticed that it's usually the women in scripture who challenge the words of God and angels? Mary, Jesus's mother, the Syrophoenician woman, the widow of Seraphath. I would risk saying that maybe we have better bullshit meters. Sarah was a very old woman, but what appealed to her most, and what she refers to, is that Abraham in his old age might have the capacity to give her pleasure, and I won't be more graphic than that. Regardless of the later consequences, a child at my age? That's a feeling I can, I can appreciate. And according to the reading, God confirms the promise and the pleasure will be all hers while admonishing her for doubting God's skill in making it happen. And the rest, they say, is history. The important message from this reading is that strangers can turn out to be angels in disguise, bringing us gifts of their own humanity and a greater knowledge of God. If we are convinced that people who walk through that door can be angels in disguise, disguise, beloved of God, and as in tune with God's goodness as we are, we will never have a problem in building our community because visitors won't want to stay away. Fortunately for all of us, we have Emma, Kelly and Troy to welcome on our behalf and they are a blessing in their attention to this crucial task. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus, when asked by the lawyer, makes it quite clear who we should regard as a neighbor and to what lengths we may have to go in order to prove our allegiance to what we say that we believe. The lawyer operated his ethics on the basis of the Judaic law which later became codified in the third century as 613 laws which must be rigorously followed to be regarded as a good Jew. Jesus, on the other hand, gave us just two commandments, to love God and our neighbor as ourselves, which to Jesus could be said to be much the same thing. So already we have a collision between the ethics of law and the ethics of love. According to the lawyer, there were limits and boundaries around what was expected of a Jew. Jesus set no limits to the obligations of love. The lawyer asks Jesus, who is my neighbor? when the right question is, to whom should I be a neighbor? And the answer is, to anyone who needs me. 
You see, it's a matter of our being, not of where we live, and of living what we say we believe. The lawyer tried to put Jesus to a test of his knowledge of Scripture, but to drive his point home, Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan in which his two great commandments answer the lawyer's question most forcibly. Attacks by bandits were fairly commonplace in first century Palestine, but it's still easy for us to criticise the two people who passed by on the other side when they saw the man beaten up by the side of the road. After all, we wouldn't do that, would we? How about the possibility of perpetrators still lurking nearby? To what other danger might we be putting ourselves? Where were the authorities? What authorities? There weren't any police in those days. The fact that the stranger was half dead meant that the priest and the Levite, whom you would have expected to stop and help, would only have been able to tell if the chap was dead or alive by touching him, which would have compromised their ritual purity according to the law. So they put the law before compassion, in opposition to Jesus' teaching. And it's a whole different league of adherence to God's word. The Samaritan was an enemy of the Jews. They had severe differences of opinion about where God should be worshipped. They believed on Mount Gerizim, while the Jews believed in Jerusalem, and the argument was both bitter and violent. That a Samaritan should be described of showing compassion towards a Jew was shocking, an affront to Jewish purity. The fact that he touched him, bathed him, and took him to an inn on his own horse or donkey was unspeakable. And then to return and pay the victim's costs would simply have not been understood. This was the problem. Jesus' teaching simply wasn't understood by people who were so hidebound by rules about behaviour which could not be deviated from. People didn't understand what Jesus was saying, and in the end, it would be the death of him. Welcome and hospitality at the door and the table encompass the whole person and become the pastoral care that we see in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Pastoral care not only by the welfare state but throughout the Christian and wider world is what is required of us. And where it doesn't happen simply indicates where the people have lost the message. A month ago, I listened to a preacher preach most earnestly on the need for us to go out from this place to take care of the people who live on the edge 
the, pe the people who have illnesses, the people who are homeless, the people who have no food, that it was our Christian duty to go out and serve them. Where I happen to know that a person with mental health problems who could be a bit of a nuisance sometimes had actually been banned from that very church. You see, it's very easy to lose the plot. So where does this leave us? Well, right back in the middle of our intentions for the year of renewal. Understanding a little better that according to Jesus, there is no one who is outside our caring and compassion. However much we may disagree with them, thinking of Brexit, or indeed, however much we don't like them. No one is outside our welcome and our hospitality. There is no one who doesn't deserve whatever inclusion and compassion it is within our power to give. So, ask yourself this question. Do we in this church operate by the ethics of the law or by the ethics of love? When we welcome the stranger, like Kelly, Emma and Troy, when we serve the needs of visitors, when we accompany the lost and the lonely, like our pastoral care team will be doing, when we bathe the sores or provide the paracetamol or give someone a cup of tea like Carol and her team, when we remind them of their value to us like Les sending cards, when we soothe their hearts and calm their minds with our liturgy and our music, we may indeed, like Sarah and Abraham, be entertaining angels. But even more likely is that we are serving Jesus himself. For he says elsewhere, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Northern Lights Metropolitan Community Church. To find out more about what we do, head across to our website, www.northernlightsmcc.org.uk.